welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. this morning, man, we have been in a series called Planning for Christmas for like the past eight weeks, and when Christmas is over, the Christmas series is over, so it's time for a new series. We're starting a new series today called Forward, and the purpose of Forward is not so much that we're looking at any particular concept or even any particular passage. We are simply preparing ourselves to leave 2020 behind and move forward into 2021. Now, 2020 has been a crazy year worldwide. It's been just something I've never experienced. Most of us have never experienced. And I, I know there's a lot of people here that are, are dealing with different things. We've dealt with fear and we've, we've dealt with anxiety. I know several of us have dealt with loss in the year of 2020. But even in 2020, I can see that God has been at work. I can see that in my life. I can see that in our church. I know that God has worked. And so we don't know what 2021 holds. Some of us are ready to leave 2020 behind because that that number is just always going to be like a bad number. Like that's going to be right next to 666 in our our minds forever. Like a horrible number. And some of us look at 2021 with a bit of skepticism like... What's this next year going to hold? It could be really good. It could be better because how could it be worse? But then there's always that part of us that thinks maybe it could be worse. But if God can work in 2020, I have, I have faith and I'm excited because I know that God can work in 2021. And we want to move into this new year with some excitement. Not just because the world may be different, but because we still have a purpose and a mission here at Ramsey Heights. We still have things that God has called us to do regardless of what the circumstances dictate. And God will work through us. So today we're going to wrap up 2020. And next week we're going to begin planning and prepping for what God has for us in 2020. excuse me, in 2021. As we look at finishing up 2020, 2020 has been the year of worship for us. And worship has been a term that that my understanding has evolved over the past year of. Like, when we started out 2020, our first sermon of 2020 was a sermon called Praise the One Who Set Me Free. And we spent time looking at what it means to worship. And we're really focused on verbal worship and what it means to pour our hearts out to God. As we continued through the year, we saw more of this undertone in our, um, in our messages on, on um, our focus series that we did while we were out of church. We focused on the I am's of Jesus Christ. And each one of those were accompanied with a hymn and the story of worship behind the hymn. When we got to the summer, we went into the 23rd Psalm and we looked at David's heart of worship as he poured out to God, the Lord is my shepherd. And we, and we learned that worship is about trust. So as we've kind of been going through this, I, I've been learning more about worship and what it means to worship, not just to sing in church, but to have a heart of worship. And, and I've been sharing that with some people around of what I've learned and what we've been learning as a church. And one of my coworkers named Dennis Smith was on a similar journey. He was looking into the word worship and he pioneered a lot of research into worship and through some of the discussions we've had and some of the things he taught me, I just wanted to share with you this morning what worship means to me now and what worship should mean to all of us. In John chapter 4, Jesus redefines the term worship. And it seems like that's not something that that Jesus would do to redefine a term, but he redefines the term not based on what people think it means, but what it means to God or what it should mean to God. 
In John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling, and he's traveling with his disciples, and as he's traveling, he decides he has to go somewhere, and it makes a decision to go through Samaria. Now, you have to understand that at this moment, his disciples would have looked at him like, no, Jesus, we're not going through Samaria. It's, that's a region inside of Israel that, that most Jews wouldn't travel to. They would walk around Samaria. The reason for that is, is through the many exiles and problems the Jews had, a remnant was left in Israel, and these people intermarried with other people of other ethnicities and other uh, worshipers styles and other faiths and they had developed this kind of new version of worship like they, they claimed to worship Yahweh they claimed to worship the one true God but they didn't do it how God told them how to do it and so the Jews and Samaritans they they hated each other they didn't want to be anywhere near each other and Jesus decides we're going to go right through the middle of Samaria to get where we're going and all the disciples are going like no that we can go around we don't have to go to those cities those people hate us but the verse 4 of John chapter 4 Jesus says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria and I think the reason for that is Jesus had a plan and a purpose for meeting someone there. As we go into the story, this is the story of the woman at the well, but as we go into this story, we see that Jesus is doing a lot of things. And in this meeting that we're going to talk about today, it's the first time that Jesus admits to anybody outside of his little small circle that he is the Messiah. In Samaria, in the area that many Jews would not go to, this is the first time he looks at someone and goes, it, it's me, I'm the Messiah. And so we know that Jesus had a very uh, stringent plan for what he was doing in Samaria. He goes through here and he meets a woman at the well. And we don't know her name. I wish the Bible had told us, but it doesn't. It just, it just, we call her the woman at the well. And, and we, we find out some things about this woman is that she had a very, very jaded past. She had spent her life hopping from man to man and, and hopping from husband to husband and, and living a life that by all standards that, that God was unhappy with. And with this, we see that she is thirsty for something. She's looking for something that she just can't find. If, if this man doesn't give it to her, she'll go try to find it with another man. And Jesus sees this in her, and he has this discussion with her about giving her living water. All of a sudden, as she asks, what do I have to do to give this living water? Jesus talks to her, and he says, I, I know your past. He calls her out. He says, well, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. She goes, yeah, that's right. You have, you've had five. And you're with a man now who's not your husband. Imagine a stranger walking up to you, coming up to you, talking to you at Walmart. Hey, how's the weather? You have a discussion about something serious, and all of a sudden he goes, uh, I know what you did seven years ago. You remember when you were out of town on business and seven years ago and what you did? I know all about that. I know what happened in your house last Wednesday when the doors were closed and you didn't think anybody was looking. I know who you were 20 years ago back in college and high school. I remember the stuff that you used to do. What would you do in that moment if somebody walked up to you and started telling you all the things that you ever did wrong in your life? I'm running away. I don't know what y'all are doing. I'm leaving. And that's what this woman tends to do. She wants to push Jesus away, and she's going to start a discussion with him that is meant to push him away. We're going to read verses 19 through 24. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. 
God is a spirit, and them that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So Jesus comes to this lady and he, and he looks at her and he's talking to her and you can see that he's seeking her out. And the moment that he calls her out because he knows that she has to repent of her sin, he knows that he, she has to acknowledge of her sin, the moment he calls her out and says, you've got dirt in your life. You've got filth in your life. The first thing she starts trying to do is trying to deflect. And in order to deflect, she brings up the topic of worship. For this woman, worship was a divisive topic. She looks at Jesus and she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and, you know, there's some differences between us. You know, my fathers say that, that we worship in this temple on this mountain. See, the Samaritans had even built their own temple. And all you Jews, you say that we have to come down to Jerusalem to worship in the temple there. And what she's trying to do is create friction between her and Jesus. She's trying to push him away with this <clears throat> difference in their versions of worship. And Jesus does not fall for this trap. See, what Jesus knows is that for her, her definition of worship is religious tradition. Her definition of worship is not what Jesus sees as worship, but religious tradition that is focused on the physical, on the where, the when, and the how, which is important to a lot of people. But Jesus is going to point out to her that she is focused on incorrect things. That's our first take-home truth is that incorrect worship focus can be an obstacle between us and Jesus. See, this lady knew that. She knew that, that having a focus on the physical would put room between her and Jesus, and she willingly used that to try to push Jesus away. But Jesus is on a mission. He's pulling her towards him, and he looks at this obstacle and says, if, if her definition of worship is wrong, if that's becoming an obstacle to her coming close to me, drawing near to me, putting her faith in me, we've got to remove that obstacle. And so in this moment, Jesus sets out in this conversation to redefine worship. As I studied this this morning, I wonder what definition you and I have of worship. When we think of the word worship, is our definition of worship the same as that woman's, as religious tradition, the, the how and the when and the where? I wonder that about myself. Has my definition of worship been a little bit off where I focus too much on, on how it should be done or, or what we should wear? Should it be in a church? Do the pews have to be perfectly? What do we have to do to make God happy? Or is our definition of worship the same as Jesus's? Let's go through and see what his definition is and see if we can figure it out. See, to Jesus, worship had nothing to do with the physical. He didn't care if she worshiped in a temple or a building. He didn't care about traditions, not denominations, sanctuaries. What Jesus cared about was worship as a spiritual connection. Jesus said worship only matters if it's done in spirit and in truth. And so he begins to work with her and show her what he really means by this. Now, this, this several verses here loses something in translation. And, and the more I've studied the Bible, the more I've become convinced that, that we need to know the Greek meaning behind words because sometimes the words don't translate directly. It's as close as we can get, but we miss some of the connotation behind that. So I try not to kill you guys with Greek words, but sometimes it's really, really important. This is the place where you're going to want to listen close. If, if you're like me and you're one of those people that fades in and out of the message, you'll think about something else and you'll come back. If you miss this part, you're going to be really confused here in a minute. So, so stick with me here. The word worship in our Bible is used nine times in these five verses. Nine times in these five verses, this word worship is used. 
And the word, the Greek word here is proskuneo. Proskuneo. And if you translate that word that we translate worship, if you translate it literally, proskuneo means this. It means to kiss. Like a dog licking his master's hand. That is the direct translation of that word. That's what, when, when the Bible says worship, that's what the literal meaning of that is. So some of you guys are dog people. We did this back in Cats and Dogs. Some of you guys are dog people, and then some of you guys are wrong. But that's okay. We love you anyway if you're a cat person. But, but for those of you, my dog people, is there anything better than when your dog is excited to see you? You guys know what I'm talking about. Like you come home from work, or you've been gone, or you let them out, and that dog just jumping all over the place. It's so excited. I don't think dogs smile, but you can almost feel the smile. And, and they're wagging their tail, and you sit down, and they just can't take it anymore. They've got to show you how much they love you. And so you're walking, and they reach up there, and they lick your hand. Has that ever happened to y'all? Or lick you if you sit down, they jump up, and they try to lick you. They just lick it. They're so full of excitement and joy. They've got to lick you and show you how much they love you. Also kind of gross. But when... Yeah, <laughs> never mind, I won't tell that story. <laughs> when we use the word worship, that is the literal meaning of the word worship, is that concept of what your dog does to you when he's excited to see you, when he wants to show you all of that love. Now, let's be clear, this is not a direct translation. It's about the connotation, it's about the meaning behind the word, it's about the intent of the word. Because if we translated this directly, this woman would be sitting here and going, yes, well, I understand that you're supposed to lick people's hands in Jerusalem and we lick hands up on this mount. That's not what she's saying. It's about the intent and the heart behind it. It's about how much that dog loves you and it just can't help it. It's just got to pour out of him. And what that dog is saying in that moment is I will follow you anywhere. I adore you. It's an act of submission and humility. And that intent is what the word worship means. It's an act of submission and humility where we come to God and we say, I, I adore you. I, I, I will go anywhere with you. I will do anything for you. It's about the heart behind the word. Now, I'll be honest with y'all. I don't, I don't really like to be licked by dogs or people, just in case y'all are wondering. Stay away from me. Uh, but I, I don't really like that. Like, like it's just like, ugh, I got to wash my hands. It's all slobbery and stuff like that. Every once in a while, a dog will get so excited. Okay, I will tell the story. Uh, my dad, uh, we saw him at Christmas, and, and every time dad holds Oakley, she cries. And um, so he, his, his trick is he's going to go get a puppy. He's got puppies all over the place. So he goes and gets a puppy, and as long as she can sit there and pull hair on that puppy and stuff. And, and as we had that dog, uh, that little puppy looked up at her right in the face and just right up on her nose she doesn't like puppies anymore after that but anyway so that that's the concept i, I don't like that it's kind of nasty it's kind of gross there's germs and stuff like that but you know what for a dog that's all a dog can do to show love See, a dog can't sit down at a computer and type you a, a, a note about how much they love and adore you and everything that you mean to your dog and how appreciative they are that you take care of them. A dog can't get in the car and drive down to Walmart and buy you a bunch of gifts. A dog can't get on the phone with a travel agent and get you an all-expense-paid resort, beach resort vacation. All a dog can do to show you love is to pour out his heart by licking your hand. And in that moment, he's giving his all to you. That's what worship means. To pour out everything that you have. To give every bit of love and excitement that you have to God. <clears throat> That's what our word worship means at its deepest. 
Our second take-home truth is this, is worship is pouring out love, admiration, loyalty, and passion in humility. See, worship is not about the how, the when, or the where. It's about the what comes out of you. It's about passion for God. I wonder if Christians across the world, maybe we haven't lost our passion for God. That we don't love him the way that we described a dog licking our hand. We don't have that passion to come here and really worship God and just pour it all out. God, I adore you. But when Jesus defines worship, this is how he defines worship to her. That he wants love that pours out of us, not actions focused on physical places or physical things. He describes this by saying, I want you to worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. What does that even mean? Do you know? You want to get up here and explain? Because I don't know. I I, I puzzled over this because that's not something that we say. I guess it works for worship, but I I don't know. We don't really understand it. Like, like nobody's going to invite me to watch football. Hey, Brian, come to my house, sit on my TV, watch my 70-inch TV, and let's watch a football game. And no thanks, I'm watching football in spirit and truth. I don't need the physical objects. I don't need the physical place. Nobody's ever asked me to go hunting with them. You want to go hunting? No thanks. I'm going to hunt in spirit and truth on my couch. (laughs) I'm going to try this one later. Hey, Brian, will you come change this dirty diaper? Babe, I'm changing diapers in spirit and truth. I don't need the physical. What does that even mean? And and I've puzzled over this all week. i am be honest with y'all. If y'all think I get in this Bible and it just all opens up to me, you're wrong. I, I puzzled over this and I read answer after answer about what spirit and truth means. I even got on Google. That's how you that's how you preach. If any of you are called to preach, you just Google all your questions. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? And, and I, there's something like I kept reading the answer, but I just couldn't grasp what does spirit and truth really mean? And, and so I, I then did what I should have done in the first place. I, I asked God... <laughs> I said, God, I I can't grasp this. What what does this really mean? Because I don't understand. What do you really want when you ask us to worship in spirit and truth? And as I prayed over this and and I looked at this, I looked at, at verse 23, and what started to stand out to me is that the main process, the main word here was worship, proskuneo. But if you take that word out, there are three words that really stand out. The rest of them are just kind of, you know, like, like transition words. But there's three words that really carry meaning in this. And it's Father, Spirit, Truth. Three words. Father, Spirit, Truth. Connected in this verse. What do those mean? And so as I begin to look at this, I started trying to work through what do these three words mean if they stand alone? And Father is simple. That's God. We all know who the Father is. That's God sitting on a throne in heaven. So we, we've got that one defined. Spirit gets a little more tricky because you could go a couple different ways with it. To worship in spirit could mean that we worship in our spirit, in our innermost being, that that our worship comes from within us. And I think that's 100% correct. But I don't know that that was Jesus' main intent when he said worship in spirit and truth. The other thing that it could mean is it could mean the Holy Spirit. That, that, that worship has a connect to the whole, connection to the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's true because in verse 24, Jesus, in describing what it means to worship in spirit and truth, he goes ahead and he says, God is a spirit, pointing us towards the Holy Spirit. And the last word is the truth. And often you'll hear people say that to worship in the truth just means that you worship in the fact that you know what you're worshiping, that you know that you're worshiping the right thing. But it could also mean something a little de- deeper. If we've got the fact that we are worshiping the Father in spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, maybe there's a third part to that equation. 
See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so as you look at this verse here, if you look at what it means to worship the Father in spirit and truth, there's a connection to the Trinity. Jesus is telling us that our ability to worship and our ability to bow down is connected to our connection to the Holy Spirit and to the Son of God. Jesus is teaching us that it's about personal connection because it is only when we put a personal belief in Jesus Christ that we have a reason or a will to worship. And in that moment, we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so worship becomes a product of our personal connection with God. And what Jesus is saying to this woman is quit worrying about where you worship and worry about worshiping with a personal connection to God. Worry about worshiping in a way that connects you to him. That makes sense, doesn't it? Proskuneo, to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand, that's a very personal thing. That's, that's a very personal amount of affection that we're throwing out in that moment. So it makes sense that what Jesus is saying is worship, worship personally. He goes on to say that this is how true worshipers, true worshipers will worship with a personal connection. If there's true worshipers worshiping in a personal connection, that means that Jesus also expected that there's going to be false worshipers. There's going to be people out there who are doing something that looks like worship, but it's not true worship. And this is where he brings this story back to this woman, and he goes back to what he was trying to do. In this conversation, Jesus is calling her to have a personal connection with him. Don't worry about religion. Don't worry about what, what people around you say. Don't, don't worry about Samaritan versus Jew. Focus on your personal connection with God. And that's what he's doing in seeking her and having this conversation with worship with her is draw close to me, draw close to God. We embody all of this concept, proskuneo, the whole dog licking thing, pouring out our heart. We embody this in the word today, the English word, worship. This, this connection with God, this moment of pouring out our heart and our adoration to the Lord, worship. And let me explain to you why we chose that word to translate to. Worship comes from an old English word that is actually worth-ship, worth-ship. We, we've dropped a T and a H in there sometime and it's just kind of began to flow as worth or worship, but it was originally worth-ship that we translated this to. And if you break that word apart, it tells you a little bit about the heart behind it. See, when you put ship on the end of the word, that, that means it's a state of being. If I say that Danny and I have a friendship, it means that we are in a state of being where we are friends. If I say I have a good relationship with my wife, I'm telling you that I'm in a state of being where I have good relations with her. If I say that I'm going through a, through a hardship, I'm telling you that I'm in a state of being where I'm having a hard time. And so worship means that we must be in a state of being of worth. Not, not us of worth, because what worship actually points to is a relationship where one person of the relationship is worthy and the other is unworthy. And so when we say we worship or we say we worship, what we are saying is we are pointing to the fact that there is a God who is worthy and that we are unworthy. And it's an introspection, a moment of time where we assess my worth and my value versus the worthiness of God. And we find, if we're honest, that we fall short. 
and that he is worthy and we are unworthy. This is our last take-home truth. Worship is an action of relationship between us and God where we acknowledge his worth and our unworthiness. Worship is an act where we acknowledge his worth and our unworthiness. That's why we sing in church. Do you guys know that we sing for a purpose? It's not just a tradition. It's not just to wake you up. The, the reason we sing in church is not because <clears throat> it's something that God has demanded us to do. And let me throw this out here too. Is, is music in and of itself is not worship. The songs we sing are supposed to help us focus on our worship. When we, when we sing the music, when we listen to praise music, when we, when we have a song in our heart, the focus should not be that I like the melody. The focus is that, that it brings me back to a moment where I realize who I am versus who God is. That, that I am unworthy and that he is worthy. I wonder if as we go through our song services here at church, as we sing, if that's really what our heart's honestly reflecting. Are, are we just singing the songs because we like them or are we not singing at all? But that's what those moments of worship are for and that's why we come together is to collectively say in this moment we lay everything aside and you and I, we're gonna stand in this church and we're gonna collectively use song to help us focus on how good our God is and how unworthy of him we are. I'll throw this in here. I truly believe that God doesn't desire our lips to move if our heart isn't moving with it. Worship is a moment of reflection where we look at God. <clears throat> In verse 23, Jesus continues talking about worship and he's explaining all of this to her and that, that, that there's a true worship that comes in spirit and truth. And he says that true worshipers worship this way, worship this way and there must be false worshipers who are gonna do it wrong. And this is what he says about this. And, and this maybe is the most important part of everything we just talked about. He says, God seeks those who worship this way. The Bible tells us that God has a desire for us to worship him in this way, to come to him with a heart of humility, to lay it all out. He doesn't desire false worship. He doesn't care if we get here and we sing songs with no heart. It means nothing to him. He wants our hearts to be focused on worshiping him, focusing on our difference in worth. And for that reason, worship is a repeated revelation that we focus on again and again and again. Worship doesn't just happen during worship time in church. Worship can happen in your car when you take a moment to reflect either through scripture or through song or just meditation on how great our God is versus how unworthy we are. It can happen, <clears throat> it can happen at work. It can happen in traffic. It can happen in the moment when you're the most frustrated about anything that we can focus on God in his worth in our unworthiness. I really believe that worship defined this way is the basis of salvation. You see, Jesus is having this conversation with a woman, not because he likes to argue. He's drawing her to him. And he draws her to him through this conversation about worship, through this conversation about personal connection, about pouring out your heart to God instead of a religion. And the story goes on to tell us that she gets it. That in this conversation, she begins to look at her worth versus, versus the worthiness of God. 
and she looks at Jesus and, and she asks a question without asking a question. She just makes a statement, but but I kind of see her as kind of smiling at him and 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 looking at him after this conversation. And she goes, you know, there's a teaching that one day the Messiah will come. You can kind of see her eyebrow raising. What she's doing is she's asking Jesus, is like, how could you know what God wants? This revelation came to her through this discussion of worship. And Jesus looks back at her after she asked about the Messiah, Brother Danny. Jesus looks back at her and he says, it's me. I am the Messiah. I am the one who desires your worship. I am the one who desires a personal connection with you. And we never know this woman's name, but what I can tell you about her is she became a follower of Christ that day. Because what the Bible does tell us that after having this discussion of worship with Jesus Christ, she leaves the well. She doesn't even take her pot of water with her and she runs back to the city and she begins to tell everybody, let me tell you who I met. Let me tell you what he can do. And people came running to meet Jesus in this moment. And that is the point of worship for us. It's a moment where we look at God and we say, God, I'm, I'm so unworthy of you. And isn't that what it takes for us to place our faith in Jesus? For us to come to know him? For us to, to experience salvation is a moment where we say, God, I'm unworthy. But you love me enough to die for me. And God, for that, you are worthy of all the praise. Maybe this morning we're in here and we've never came to that understanding of our worth, our unworthiness versus his worthiness. And maybe it's time for the first time to place your faith in him. And if you've already done that, you're probably a little bit like me where we need to take a step back as we end 2020 and go into 2021 sure of ourselves that we can continually look at the worthiness of God and humble ourselves before him.